Welcome to the RSP cast. This week, Felix Sharp and I are going to cover once again the college football scene pertaining to probably more Debbie prospects and future dynasty prospects. And I can't really, Felix, I can't think of a better person to have on the show on a regular basis doing this as, as one of the heads of campus to Canton. Um, thank you again for joining me this season for doing this. Well, man, I appreciate that. I can probably think of five better people, but you chose me, so we're doing it tonight. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm glad to glad, glad to be here, and I'm 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 excited about um, the players that we are going to talk about tonight. The one thing that I like about um, Devi or college football is that I think that in the NFL space, the story is relatively relatively the same from year to year so you know Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen Kyler Murray they're going to be the, the top of your quarterback rankings for like the next what five six years but in the college space there are always new characters and the journeys of these in the peaks and valleys of these players they change like so drastically from week to week and from year to year and then you have them for three years and then the you get all new characters and so um the development of these players until they get to the NFL is just something that I really find intriguing and trying to um, project them to the NFL is just, it's, it's a, it's a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun to be loud, right about a player that nobody's looking at. And it's a ton of fun to be loud wrong about, on the same spectrum. So glad to be talking. To yeah. You. It's a game. That's what we have to remember is that this is a game. And I know that there are people who do high stakes work and, and, you know, analyst communities who are trying to be right all the time about the work that they're doing. But at the end of the day, uh, again, you're going to have plenty wrong, but you're going to enjoy the victories that you have. And it's a, it, you know, and we're going to get to go deep with this because with Ca Campus to Canton, listen, I mean, the fact that you have a team that's college and pro combined and you carry your players over, I mean, you can't go much deeper than that. You know, I'll say this, you know, um, just as a reminder to folks, Bengals rookie Jamar Chase went deep last year. Looks like he's going to carry that on this year. As you said, things don't change all that much, especially when a player's great. And the rookie scouting portfolio has been helping fantasy managers go deep with rookies since 2006. It's a two-in-one fantasy-focused draft guide and, RS and um, football scouting reference. Um, the RSP covers over 150 rookies at the offensive skill positions. Uh, it has post-draft rankings, cheat sheets with tiers, post-draft ADP analysis, sweet spot analysis, so that when I give you some oddball ranking of a player, seemingly oddball against the consensus, I do try and keep in mind where people are drafting that player so that if I say I like Patrick Mahomes over four other quarterbacks that are people think are ranked ahead of them or Nick Chubb or Cooper Cup or whoever, I'll tell you, I'll give you a relative sweet spot of where you can get them where you're not reaching too far and you're still going to be able to get value at other positions. You get combined three-year pre-draft rankings, updated three-year rankings throughout the season, positional skill analysis. It's some of the most in-depth player profiles available and analysis where at least some of the positives with it have been touted early, middle, and later guys like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Travis Kelsey, A.J. Brown, Chubb, A.J. Dillon, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Khalil Herbert, Tyler Conklin, Robert Woods, and, of course, Jamar Chase. So you can download the 2022 RSP. You can go deep on your league as well. You can get it available at mattwaldman.com. So let's go deep and talk. Well, if can I add something to that? Yeah. Where else are you going to find you know, someone tell you, I wouldn't take Zach Wilson in the first three rounds of the year. No, at Matt Waldman RSP, I have the nerve to have a signed uh, Zach Wilson jersey here that I used to have behind me. And, of course, it's not there anymore. So Now um, I feel bad, you know, you, but I you remember our conversation. Yes, you tell us what it is, and you tell us what it isn't, what it ain't. So, yeah. Very appreciative of the RSP, well, even that. though it breaks my heart sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've I certainly have had I've certainly broken some hearts and broken my own heart with some of the calls, but that's the way it goes. It, you just kind of you know it's part of the process. You you work at it and and try and make it a craft, and and we're certainly going to talk about the craft of you know these developing players and one that you know you brought up as an as someone for us to talk about who is just you know a phenomenal talent in many respects is quarterback Anthony Richardson. You know, tell us a little bit more about what you think of him, what's going on in the community with him right now in terms of how people are viewing him and, and, and your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I was on two weeks ago. So we've seen, and I told the audience before uh, or during that show, this is somebody that you need to watch. So they played Utah at, you know, at for the first game of the season. Has a tremendous game, has the long run uh, uh, on a on a play where they uh, ha- there are twins to the left and they run those two wide receivers in man across the formation. Everybody follows them. There's nobody over there. And Anthony Richardson runs for the 55 yard touchdown. So you see the athleticism and the fact that this guy is six foot four, 240 pounds, and is probably legitimately going to run a four three. Um, uh, over 100 160 ish yards passing in that game. You kind of saw. Um, what he could be or what he could, de- uh, if he continues to develop, what he could develop, uh, what he could be. And then it's funny. So we've had two weeks, and I talked about the peaks and valleys of these players. Well, then last week they play Kentucky, and it's different because they're they, – I mean, their coaches are paid a lot of money to, to scheme up and play defense against these guys, and um, uh, UK was able to throw something different at Anthony Richardson. He's in his third – Third, that was just his third uh, career start, mind you. But they were able to do some things to him, including playing coverage, you know, keeping him. All right, we're going to rush three. We're going to have our defensive ends rush passively to keep you in the pocket. And you're going to just have to be, you're going to have to go on a 15, 16 play drive and dink and dunk your way or, you know, find space in the middle of the field. We don't think you can. You know what? They were right. They were right. And so um, he's going to have to learn how to deal with that change. I mean, that's what that to me, that's what playing coverage is. When you drop eight defenders, it's it's a change up. Yeah. You got pressure coming, you got pressure coming, you got pressure coming, and then all of a sudden, nope. Yeah. Find the open man. He so he's not able to rely on his athleticism. He's got to see that a couple of times. He's got to see that a couple of times. Um before I mean, I could go. We could talk about. I got. I got notes here, Matt. We could talk. We could talk well, about Anthony Richardson. Well, but well, first but thing, what, let me comment on this real quick because what you said, sure. then I want you to cover those notes. But one of those yeah. things is that makes total sense that it would be a change up like that. I mean, if you, yeah. I mean, it's just like any everybody who's listening here has played baseball at one point, and if you're if you've had literally twenty at bats in a row where someone's throwing a heater. And you're th- and you're trying to time that up, and then somebody throws a slow curve. You are gonna look wild. You're gonna you. Very few people are gonna be able to hit that curveball after that. Um, and it's just like whether he's an athletic quarterback who can run and has a gun of an arm, or whether it's a guy who's a pocket player who's used to being able to get the ball out quickly and and makes quick decisions. Well when the defense stops that ability to make the quick decision and you have to like, or you, or it creates more decision-making matrices for you to choose from suddenly. Now you have choices that you're not making as quickly. And then because you're used to feeling that pressure coming one, two, three at the top of your drop and having to move. And now it's not there. You're still wondering. It's like you've, You've been used to putting your hand in the window and timing when the window's going to shut and getting your hand away. And then when you leave it in there a split second longer and it's still there, it makes it causes you to think. And when you think on the field without that preparation, it's it can screw you up. So yeah, I totally get that and why that that, that would throw him and why this isn't like a massive evaluation flaw in his scouting profile at this stage. Because again, three games, what does that mean? Yeah, it takes the reps. I mean, it takes reps to see different deep. Now, Matt, I actually played quarterback for 75% of my high school career. And actually, uh, I had something <laughs> similar. I had something similar happen to me the last time I played quarterback. It's funny, but yeah, you get these reps um, and you have to learn like just the, the I guess the patience of that particular play when they are allowing you to find, I mean, that's, that's exactly what the defense is. They're going to allow you to find your open receiver. You got eight players got garden five at most and given time, somebody's going to break open, but that clock has to slow down. It has to slow down. And he's not there yet after three, after three starts, but I mean, will he get there? I don't know. We'll see. 
we'll see. But I, I can tell, I can tell you what, it will slow down after you've seen it. You know, the fifth, sixth time, it just needs the reps. It's a rhythm position. It's a rhythm position, and you can be in one rhythm, like you said, when you when you're getting that pressure and you have to rely on instinct and you have to move and you have to make the quick decisions. And it's a different rhythm when they are, when the defense is going to, you know, uh, uh, play zone, throw fire zones at you. So you don't know where the fourth rusher is coming from when they're just going to drop eight. That's a different, that's a different rhythm. And then play high in the pocket. I bet they did that too. I didn't watch the game, but I would think associated with drop eight is, Get high in the pocket so that he can't bail out from one side to the other and oh, stay yeah. in that Absolutely. pocket. Absolutely, you know. Yep, that's what that's with the, with your edge rushers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so i i had I had a defense do that to me, where <laughs> um, where I could not like they were not really rushing me. You know, yeah. they were weren't creating open lanes. Like they were just keeping stuff in front of me, and everything was blocked up fine. But my clock had been so quick it's funny because so i so i couldn't figure out what to do with the um with the pressure i ended up getting pulled and this is when i started playing wide receiver um <laughs> at, at halftime now i went to kalamazoo central high school uh greg jennings little brother greg jennings a former uh green bay packers yeah. and vikings wide receiver his mm-hmm. little brother courtney was you know one of the best players in the in the uh in the state definitely in our in our little county we were down at the half, and so Courtney and our running back, Jason, decided that they were going to try something. So on kickoff return at the half, they did a throwback pass, and somebody like threw it out of bounds. But the coaches didn't call a throwback pass, and so they took Courtney out, and I stubbed in that wide receiver, and he got hurt the next game, and I was uh, the leading receiver from there on out and then played receiver and, uh, and cornerback my, my, my senior year. So um, – I mean, I didn't play at the Power Five level, but sure. I know what Anthony Richardson was dealing with there. With <laughs> with when he's not actually getting the pressure that makes him turn into Neo, so to speak, and makes him react and makes him uh, use that athleticism. It takes you out of your flow. I mean, and that's it does. and that's a that's a rough thing. So yeah. I mean, and and I think that that's it. Just sounds like I, I caught a little bit of a debate that you guys had on. Uh, you know that you showed on Twitter on on your on you guys show on campus to Canton, and it, and yeah. it seemed like, you know, the, the fun part is is you you're trying to you know you and your co-hosts are trying to to scout these guys about what their future might be, and it's early still, but I can you know I understand why people may be like, well, he's got a long way to go, or he may, I don't think he's ever going to get there because of these things, but it seems to me that like. The big question is: You look at Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh mm-hmm. Allen, as I've talked about, is I think he's one of the anomalies of scouting. As a guy who, when you looked at his decision making, his athletic ability was off the charts, great. But his decision making, you know, people were valuing him, and I thought, well, I did a, I did a pod, I think I did a, a film study on him and and Lamar Jackson and said if you wanted to see who the stereotypical running quarterback was it wasn't Lamar Jackson it was it was Josh Allen and Josh Allen if if Josh Allen had been had been cast as the guy should have been cast as the guy the way people were casting Lamar Jackson should have had more doubts about him but he broke the curve in terms of the odds of being able to develop the way he had and all credit to him for doing what he's done. But when you look at him coming out of school, you know, you would have said, well, the way he makes decisions could be awful. I remember watching tape with him, uh, watching Wyoming versus Nebraska, where he threw multiple interceptions in that game. And they were (laughs) awful decisions. And I remember somebody go, I was watching with somebody privately and they looked at me and they go, that's the guy people are touting as the number one quarterback, and I'm just not in my head. And they're like, I can't, I can't eat. I mean, like, I don't even watch football like this, and it seems pretty obvious. But well, credit to him yeah. and credit to that to that organization. You mentioned decision making. Well, when you have good players around you, it helps with decision making, or it makes your decision making look better. And Stephon Diggs, uh, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Dawson Knox. Now, when you at surround him with and, and, with those types of guys, it yeah. makes it yeah. makes that easier. And the windows, we talk about that a lot too. Is when you run crossing routes, a lot of routes breaking across the field, the quarterback has multiple windows of decisions as opposed to yeah. timing routes that break back to the quarterback, where you may have two windows at best 
really only right. one and you got to move somewhere else whereas you can kind of stay with the guy guys a little longer when they're breaking across the field and have an easier yeah. time picking them apart and so but still credit to him because again but yeah that it's a combo it's, things yeah it's funny that you say that with like timing routes so like hitches curls that sort of thing um i think one area where anthony richardson needs to improve and this is well one area where he needs to improve is he he shoots missiles i mean he he fires missiles in there and i know why he's doing it he's thinking if I can get this ball from point A to point B as fast as possible, then the chances of a turnover are, you know, less than. Um, but he's got to be able to take something off. On the same token, I would like to see him to play with some players who can get their get their head around quickly and get their <laughs> hands up quickly. Yeah. Because he's not if you're playing with Anthony Richardson and you're running a five yard hitch or whatever, you can't have your hands down when you turn around. Yeah. You cannot have you have to have your hands up. You have to get that head around quickly and you got to have have those hands up because that ball is going to be on you. Um but it, again, it's it goes both ways. He's got to learn. He contributes to some of his um uh drops because he does get he does get a lot of drop passes because the you know, these some of these players just can't handle his fastball and he throws his fastball a lot. He throws his fastball a lot. From from an athlete standpoint, I mean, is he that rare of an athlete? Like, compared to like, is he on that level of we look at Malik Willis or Josh Allen or Steve Young or you know Steve McNair or players like that? Who like who would you compare him to? Just athletically raw tools in terms of arm strength, quickness, speed. Yeah, he's not as quick as like a Lamar Jackson, but I would bet you he has just as much top end speed. Um, to me, he's he's a a a, cam, a faster Cam Newton. Okay, wow. Yeah, he's a, a faster Cam Newton because he can lower his shoulder. He will play physically. He can stiff arm linebackers. He can stiff arm uh, cornerbacks and get away from you that way. Uh, so that is that is who I would compare him to, and then. You know, arm strength wise, I mean, he has he can make you know any opposite hash throw that you want him to. It's not the it's not the it's the passes that require like the high arcing passes, the passes uh, that require touch, touch passes. And I'm not yeah. the touch passes. I'm not talking about just like you know deep routes where he can improve there too. But even like when you've got press man and that's automatically converted to a go route on the outside, and him putting touch on the ball, um, having faith that he can throw it to the cornerbacks. Uh, uh, back shoulder and your wide receiver is going and not overthrowing the ball like that. That's kind of the stuff that he has to work on. Um, like that Mahomes but, touch we saw multiple times on Sunday. Or quite frankly, the pass that Jahan Dotson caught. Yeah. The, the touchdown pass, the, the touchdown pass in the end zone Be because, you know, Carson Wentz is saying this cornerback's back is turned. I know that I've got to have a guy with great body control. He's going to go get it and make a play for me. It's not going to be a turnover. I can't overthrow it out the back of the end zone because it's an incomplete and I have to give him a chance. Anthony Richardson has to work on stuff like that. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So let's, let's cover some receivers here. We talked about, um, we talked a little bit about looking at Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, and I, you know, then then you you texted me and said did you see Dane Brugler's tweet about Marvin Harrison Jr because uh, and apparently you know that was that Dane said hey if if he were eligible he'd be my wide receiver one after watching him play thus far in his career um and I went back and watched the tape and I was certainly impressed I you know I've watched few receivers relative to this point but I've watched I've watched um Tyler Harrell I've watched Zay, um, oh, Xavier right. Hutchinson, Njigba, um, um, the LSU kid, um, um, Booty. Amari Huggins Brute? No. Um, oh, okay. Kayshawn Booty. Um, I've watched. Oh. oh, I thought you said Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Kayshawn Butte. Yeah, 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 yeah. Butte. Yeah, and then, um, and then and at Louisville, I watched or the former Louisville kid, Tyler, Tyler Harrell. Tyler Harrell. And then I've mm -hmm. seen, uh, you know, a couple other guys who are in – in it, are considering that top tier and i can tell you I, I wouldn't argue with with dane about that just based on what i saw um but 
you know, I'd love to know, I mean, you, you know, what are people thinking? I mean, I don't look at the, I don't look at that so much. So what is it about Jackson Smith and Jigba that, what do people think about him in terms of the, the comparison? I know we touched him a little bit last week, but you know, what, what do you see and what do you, and what are the comparisons about him right now? Because I see a good player. I'm not in love with Mm -hmm. him, but he's a good, he's a really good player. And I can see some of the, there was a comparison I think I heard you make. So I'm interested to see if you make it again that I could, I, I get it. Even if I, if I think the other player, it's hard to compare it to him. So, all right. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think the first thing we need to emphasize is that, yes, they play wide receiver, but they couldn't be two more different. (laughs) It shouldn't even be called the same position. You know what I mean? Like Marvin Harrison Jr. is an X wide receiver, boundary wide receiver. He probably played three positions, but he is a built like a six foot four, two hundred ten pounds. And not only that, but he actually plays in the boundary. He and the boundary is usually going to have your best cornerback. Yeah. You know, he's matching up against that guy. And not only is he going to have your best cornerback, but the distance when you're on the line of scrimmage between you and that cornerback is so much different than yeah. when you're playing in the slot, like Jackson Smith and Jigba does. Eighty four percent slot percentage in 2001 only 15 snaps in 2022 but 87 percent slot percentage it's just different so like the discussion about these two should start with the fact that you know yeah they're both receivers in name only but they don't really play the same position right um and and i think i think that the position that marvin harrison jr plays lends itself to um, a higher ceiling, in my opinion, because usually that player is more the focal point of the passing offense. My my old coach would say, would say that you put your not only do you put your best corner, you put your you put your best corner at boundary corner because the best wide receiver is usually playing X in the boundary. It's just a proximity thing. Yeah, it is just a proximity thing because that player is closer to the ball. It's easier to make quick reads if a linebacker isn't that boundary. You might have something that's automatically converted to a play to that player. So um, uh, they play two different positions, and I understand why Dane Brugler said what he said, and it makes sense. It makes sense. This guy is extremely versatile in that he plays outside. He can go over the top of corners. He can, he's, he's six foot four to whatever, but when he is running around at the top of his route, he decelerates and drops those hips. He does it as well as a guy who's, you know, five foot 10, 160 pounds. Um, so he has some, he has some ver- versatility. Doesn't have a problem re- releasing. I will say, however, he, this is another player with only three career starts. Right. One of those <laughs> was against a Utah team that was literally playing running backs at cornerback. Wow. And then the other the other one was last week against Notre Dame, which he did not have as good a game. And then and then uh uh or excuse me, two weeks ago against Notre Dame, and then last week against an Arkansas State team that is just overmatched. Yeah. So can, so can he release consistently? You know, when they play Michigan or they play some of these uh, these teams that have better athletes. That's what we're going to see. But I tell you what we're seeing now is well, at, at my rankings at campus2camp.com, we had him, I had him personally as a top 18 receiver in the country as a freshman. Because, you know, what we're seeing with this, uh, with this um, uh, versatility and ability to separate and the, uh, the, the great size adjusted athleticism and route running, it was present there on his freshman film coming out of the Philadelphia area. Um, as a matter of, he reminds me very much of a, another player on Ohio State's team that they have since converted to tight end in, in G. Scott. But so so that's that's Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, a guy who can release, who can separate at the top of the route, who cornerbacks are going to have a, a hard time covering because he is a great decelerator and and changing direction fast is more important than speed at the wide receiver position at least in my opinion oh, and agree. he can change direct yeah he can change direction quickly on the other hand i like jackson smith and jigba i but it's a different it's a different position he's got these um these 
these subtle movements where he bends, he bends, he dips his shoulder. He's got good feet fire that that help him not waste time with cornerbacks as he gets open. And I also like the fact that he's great in zone. Like he he knows when to uh, throttle down and not run into another defender's zone. He knows how to make himself visible to the quarterback. And more importantly, and I don't know if this is an I have to believe it's intentional. He knows where blind spots are when he's running in zone, you know, because he can run past a a linebacker who's facing the quarterback in zone. And the, from the linebacker's per, peripheral, Jackson Smith and Jigga will, will make it look like he's running to the right when he's really breaking to the left. And it creates this huge wide open space. So I like that too. But it's these players are like, like totally different. So I agree with Dane Brugler because of the fact that in an offense where where Marvin Harrison Jr. would be playing X and Jackson Smith and Jigba would be playing the slot, it's just – it's all things being equal, that X receiver is probably going to be more involved in the offense scheme than the offense just because of the position that he plays. At least that's my experience. I think those are great breakdowns of those two players, and I love the aspect of what you brought up with going into the blind spot – of the linebacker and, and and kind of fooling the linebacker in that respect to create more space and 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 you're totally i mean it's so such an on point comparison of the two to show that they really shouldn't be compared and and really it's jackson smith and jigba will need to have a cooper cup like role to match yeah what marvin harrison jr if he plays to his ability would get as an x somewhere else you know if you had you know, if the scenario that would be a good example of where Njigba would work out well is if A, he went to an offense that used him in a Cooper Cup like role, um, and then put, and then you, Harrison wound up, say, in Cleveland replacing Amari Cooper, and Deshaun Watson isn't there, and they have someone like Jacoby Brissett as like a, yeah. a, a journeyman backup, you know, or journeyman starter who, who may, you know, not be able to, access or capitalize and maximize the skills of um harrison to his fullest that would be an example where Njigba might outproduce him but i i'm with you like i what i loved about Njigba was the zone play i i thought he could get off press he's very quick and like the guy i think you mentioned or you posed the question is is he cooper cup like and and i they're similar height i think they're quick i think cup is more explosive possibly but but We'll find out in testing, and, and Jigba Smith or Smith and Jigba is is quite quick in his own right. I saw some good footwork moves, different hand hand position moves. I love how he transitions downhill. He is very he knows where the defender is, and he knows where he needs to turn without wasted movement as soon as he catches the ball. And he's not a speedster who takes the top off the defense. I mean, he's a play action vertical guy. He's not a man-on-man -man dude. Like, you'll watch him, and he'll have 50, 60, 70-yard runs in college, but you'll see also that it's often when he can veer across the, f the opposite side of the field where someone had and didn't have a great angle on him, and they have to chase him 40 yards to catch up with him. Whereas, like, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., if he had that same space, he's gone. You know, or a Tyler Harrell who, you know, is in another stratosphere we're going to learn probably at that point. But, but yeah. Mar Marvin Harrison Jr. debuts at number two on Bruce Feldman's annual freak list, which is, you know, co us college football guys, we, we love looking at that. So um, they're different. And, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, for what it's worth, I think we have him. I think the max speed we got him at was 20.9. And so uh, 21 miles per hour is like the threshold where, you know, th this player, you know, potentially has elite speed. And Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't reach that. Yes. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be a great player. That's just not his game. But like you said, he's not a player that's going to take the top off of the defense. But you know what? He probably wouldn't be asked. If he was utilized correctly, he shouldn't be asked to be. No. To, to, you know, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a high volume receiver who could have a very long career in the NFL and give you and he's going to do that in these spread offenses as long as they continue to spread things out, he's not going to be a victim of of circumstance. Now, if somehow the NFL realizes and it seems like this past weekend, I I don't know about you, Felix, but I watched a whole lot of gap running in in the NFL this this um first week 
And just tell me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me like when you spread the field apart and you have smaller linebackers and smaller safeties, but the linemen are the same size. And now the excuse for not running gap plays used to be, well, they're just not athletic enough to be able to capitalize against defenders because defenders are too big and strong to, to be able to handle that. But now they're not. And everyone's running gap now. I mean, I've seen, I couldn't believe how many teams were doing that. I uh, I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine years ago. Is I feel like you see the pendulum swing back for offenses and defenses. So defenses tried to get small. As a matter of fact, our, the Lions head coach, I remember this, and I was like, what is he talking about? Uh, the Lions head coach, Rod Marinelli, I, knew, I remember when he was touting the fact that they had, we've got no defensive linemen over 290 pounds. I was like, what size are your defensive tackles and what are you talking about it makes no sense like you you know you see the pendulum swing so yeah no you're you're, yeah you're right if these defenses are going to emphasize speed and some of your linebackers are you know converted safeties uh then yeah that's going to be the case and then maybe if all the team style go to we're going to run two tight end and three tight end sets and our slot receiver is a thing of the past maybe in jigba gets caught up there but i still think he could play flanker in this league and play it quite well so i'd even then's not good but i'll say this um uh i i i gotta figure out what to do with these because i always oh, burn them burn them burn them burn them i'm offended i'm offended i'm offended you have to tell the audience what you have i'm, I'm from kalamazoo you. michigan matt waldman i'm i grew up a charles woodson fan go blue go ahead tell them what See, you first got. of all i love that you love charles woodson and I love the fact that you're a Michigan fan. Both my father, my mother, my grandparents, um, my um, my uncle, and my cousins are all Ohio State alums. So, um, and I happen to get a letter from someone connected with the program who just said, "Enclosed, you will find these awards mentioned in my email. These are the real deal. The actual stickers we put on the helmet, straight from Ohio State's football equipment room." With all your hard work grinding the film and producing the RSP and associated videos, football guys, podcasts, things like that, feel free to share them. Um, just let them know that it's from someone connected. So I'm, I'm share them with some, me. Send them to me. I'm sure them, well, he'll have a burning. Me. I know, I know. Yeah. So so this is the first. So I'm I I will be giving these away to some non-Michigan fans. I think I'll be sending a few also to to some family but if if you would like a helmet sticker a buckeye um for work well done we'll figure out a contest to do this with um and then if we can and then maybe felix and i can have a bet too so and if he loses maybe he has to give some of them away <laughs> i don't know <laughs> or wear one for a day he'll or never wear, do that wear one yeah, yeah wear, i don't no. i don't i don't think i would make him do that knowing no yeah but you know this, that's good. So, so you know, now that we're through with the Ohio State portion of the show, you know, one of the things, do we have any other players we were going to cover? I don't think we were at this point. I think we were going to talk about one other subject and then and then wrap this thing up. No, no, no other, no other players. I will just, you know, tell folks, you know, when you're watching college football this week, just, just watch Mayan Williams, the, the, the second string running back for Ohio State. One of my favorite players, great story, physical guy, but every, every carry is a boxing match. So just watch him. That's all. I just want to get that in there. Cool. Okay, cool. So, so the last thing that we'll wrap up with this is, you know, with these players at this point of their career, it just seems like that one of the um, one of the important things to note is that they are still learning how to work, and I think that's something that people who are pronouncing, you know, these players good enough or never good enough, like Josh Allen as a good example, or Lamar Jackson, is you know the thing that I loved about Lamar Jackson was the story about how what type of offense he played in in, Florida, in high school in Florida. And then working with Bobby Petrino and every morning getting himself a, a, I don't know what he had to for breakfast. I don't remember that part of the story, but remember him sitting down and with VR equipment, literally going through, you know, scenarios every morning, you know, working through that. And a lot of quarterbacks do that, but there are a lot of quarterbacks who never do learn how to work and players in general who they may work hard, but they don't know how to work smart. And, and I think that's the difference in, a, in society for a lot of people is that certainly we can talk about 
where people don't get opportunities that they deserve, where people get opportunities that they don't deserve, or you know, where connections can be more of a big part of a part of the, the question. But then there's a part of putting all that aside. If you have the opportunity, do you know how to work? And are you willing to do the work to get there? And I think a lot of these players are so talented at this point. And because there's limited practices, there's only like, you know, what is it? 20 something hours that they get to practice. Yeah. It's something. A week? Yeah. That's, that's nothing. Something capped. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's capped. So if you're going to practice on your own, you're doing it on your own late at night, you know, outside of curfew or allowed allotted period of time. And, and everything's and in a lot of division one, there is a lot of time for, they watch you when you get up, where you go, what you do, make sure you went to class. You know, at least in a lot of programs, you see a lot of that being monitored to where their days feel like they're strictly organized. And when you go to the NFL and suddenly you get a lot of money, you feel like people make you feel like you've made it. You get a lot of money, a lot of media attention. It feels like you're young. You feel invincible anyway, for the most part. Um, and you finally realized your dream, and now you have all this free time. All this free time. And people just adore you because they have these high expectations for you. Are you gonna know how to work? Are you gonna, because the guys who make it are the ones who, when they have all that free time is devoted to their job, which, you know, long haul isn't always healthy. You wanna have a balanced life, but when you're young and building your career, you know, Drew Locke is, I'm going to give this example and I've given this before, but I think it's worthwhile to talk about is when I evaluate, evaluated Drew Locke, I talked about him as a player that seemed like a guy who just fit that, that um, profile of a high school star who had an incredible arm, who understood the passing game at a high level for a high school athlete went to an SEC school, a mid-range SEC school in terms of their their win-loss record, and they were happy with him performing as well as he did to the point that, yeah, when there were mistakes that he made, things that he needed to work on that if you projected to the pro game, they, probably, they were saying, look, these are things you're going to have to get better at to be a pro. But, you know, right now, I mean, if you can work on them on your own, you ought to do that. Um but they're not going to bench him over some of the things that he didn't do. But when you're scouting a player, I look at him and go, when he had to face the Clemsons or the Alabamas or the Floridas or the Georgias, and they were making him, they were painting him into a corner with the defense where a well-prepared, highly practiced individual continuously improving his game would probably be able to lean on some of these learned techniques and concepts and make the solution quickly. And when you saw Drew Locke know that he needed to do something, he couldn't do it though. It was like the person who I've always equated to the guy who was smart enough to get the physics answers right, but like didn't study enough to understand how questions are asked and what the little clues are to know what formulas to use. And when he ran out of time, and figuring that out. So he always looked like kind of like the dog ate my homework when he was trying hard to do it the right way and never could. So the, the question heading into the draft was, is he going to work at his craft? Well, later on, Cecil Lammy, you know, a few years later, I brought this up and Cecil said, funny enough, I got to talk with Drew Locke's dad on a regular basis. And Drew said, Drew Locke's dad said, I've been telling him that since he was in high school. I've been telling him that he needed to, if he wanted to be a top level pro, he was going to need to dedicate more time to his game. He wasn't going to get by with the things that he was doing. And Drew just, you know, he's a good kid. I love him. He's a great guy, but he just didn't, he, it, that didn't sink in being a young man. And as a result of that, you know, Peyton Manning reached out to him early in his career. He didn't take that. He took the call, but he didn't take the opportunity. You know, and then he took the opportunity when Teddy Bridgewater came to town and the writing was on the wall that his job was on the line and might not be guaranteed that he would be the starter. Um, we saw Paxton Lynch, you know, unbelievable physical talent. Same thing. Seemed to like to play Xbox a lot more than he 
than he liked really grinding. Whereas a Trevor Simeon knew how to work, but didn't have the physical talent. But Trevor Simeon's still in the league. Um, you, you know, so, you know, knowing how to work is such a big part of this equation that goes well beyond what you might project physically or technically. It's also just the conceptual part. You know, Devonta Adams said it took him three years yeah. to figure out that um, when he was in Green Bay because he it wasn't the physical part that bothered him. So I'm just wondering, like, what are your thoughts about that? And what did you do to learn? When did you learn how to work and learn how to work smart? Because I think about these guys at this age, and I was still figuring that out when they were when most of them are getting paid money that I'll never see. I want to I want to lay a foundation for this answer though, okay. and, and go back to something that you said about Devonte Adams. So because um, we talked about it, we texted about it. There was this interview earlier this summer where someone asked him how to get better or something like that, yeah. and he basically said, "Don't do all this silly stuff. Go out there and run routes, work, run routes. Actually, like what you do in a game, practice that." I think just, it's funny, this question about um, work, learning your work ethic, learning how to perfect your craft, it is not at all limited foot to football. Like not this applies to whatever it is that you're doing or whatever it is that you're, you're aspiring to be or to become. I mean, in my own personal life, um, uh, in law school, maybe, so I went to law school at night part-time law school is supposed to be three years. It took me five because I was working uh, for the state government in Michigan. And then I was going to law school classes at night between six and between six, 6 PM and 9 PM. Well, like a year and a half in, I realized that going to class with my computer, my phone, whatever, it was just like a distraction. Um, I wasn't comprehending everything that I needed to, uh, because, you know, in six weeks or 12 weeks, I'm going to have an exam where I'm going to have to regurgitate all of this stuff. The, and so this is what I did. I learned how to work when I, I would start studying when I would go, first of all, when I, I would, I stopped using my laptop computer. I would, during the week, yes, I would read my cases and I would prepare an outline of the cases and all that stuff, but I would print that stuff out and I would only take pencil and paper or pen and my paper and my notes to class. And then when I would study, uh, when I was studying for my law school exams and when I was studying for the bar, I didn't do any silly drills. I, I went into the library, into the back of the library where there wasn't anybody and you just had that cubicle and this little wall, this walls here on your right and this walls here on your left and it's walls here right in the front. And I just had paper I just had paper and I looked at questions, practice questions, and I wrote down my answer and I would see what I got wrong. I'd go back and be like, all right, I got that wrong. And I answered so many questions like that. By the time I got to my actual law school exam or the bar exam, I remembered I would see a question on the exam that I got wrong three or four or five times before. And it was just funny because I was like, I could... You know, I have a. I, I eventually got to the point where I had templates, memorized templates in my head for what these answers are supposed to be, because it's not by coincidence. I wrote the answer to that question twenty times. Like, yes. how do you? You can't. You can't write it twenty times without getting. You know, so it became like second second nature. The exam was actually it was easy. I passed the Kentucky bar exam, flying in in in. You know, I was a weirdo because 99% of probably exam takers, regardless of, you know, whether it's law school or undergrad, whatever, they're doing exams on the computer. They have a little roped off section like you're smoking. <laughs> you went old school. The, yes. For the people who are writing their, who are actually writing in a book. Wow. And that's what I did because of, and my mom also always taught me about um, how, like writing something physically creates some sort of right left brain thing. And so just using that, but yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to practice and study the way I was going to perform when it actually came, when it counted. 
and you know, it helped me. I got well, through. I got. I passed two bar exams first time. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it makes so much sense. I mean, I laugh because I think about what your mom <laughs> taught you, and that's how I learned how to scout. Because I now it wasn't writing freehand, but it was because if I wrote freehand, I wouldn't be able to read anything I was able to write. <laughs> My handwriting is atrocious. Um, it's literally a different language. Um, so, but I, I literally would, when people ask me, well, how did you learn? And I, I decided that because of the process that I had, I would sit and watch a game and I just play I spy. I didn't understand coverages. I didn't understand you know, run fits. I didn't understand what a three by one or a four by one was early on. I didn't know the difference between a gap run and a zone run. I, I knew all I knew is what I watched from, you know, as a kid watching football and whatever they could tell you, I could kind of tell you what a sweep was. I could tell you what an eye formation was, what an empty set was, but I couldn't tell you the details that I needed to know. But the process I had was based on what you don't know, you need to find a definition for and then you need to learn how to define it in a way so that you can look for it. So I spent a good 13 years, I think at least 13 years, writing down everything I saw. I'd sit there and literally type hundreds of pages on players. And it would be things like first and 10 at the 25, offenses in an I formation, the fullbacks offset to the right guard, the tight ends on the on the left side um you have two receivers on this side this side the safety moved two steps towards the hash you know at about three steps before the snap you know or three seconds before the snap the quarterback pointed the wide receiver pointed to him i'm like everything i could see like i was in a room playing i spy with a kid and but at the or more of like just tell me everything you can possibly notice and I would, I would do that for years and then start to realize, okay, well, what I'm noticing here is a one high coverage. What I'm noticing here is a cover two. What I'm noticing, what I, what I'm noticing here is that these runs where they pull a guard are different than these runs where they don't pull anybody. And, and now I started, you know, I, I'd ask questions and find out more, but the practice of literally practicing on noticing everything that I could allowed and doing it over and over and over again made my mind faster at seeing the field and seeing what's going on and noticing things because I was practicing no I was practicing observation it wasn't about whether I knew the difference between a coverage or not it was about really just noticing everything I could see every movement every position where it was I didn't I didn't spend as much time on, on the labels, you know? And so as, a, and what ended up happening is that I'd have people who played the game say, you notice things that I didn't notice or what you notice, it has this name for it, but you're seeing it right. Or you're not seeing this right, but it's because you don't understand how this goes about, but you're seeing everything. You just don't know what the label is and I can help you fix that. You know, or, you know, as Mark Schofield would tell me, he goes, he, I, he's, he would, you know, there's a lot I learned from Mark in terms of, you know, the importance of certain things schematically and, and how that, how that goes. But it was interesting because he said one of the things he learned from me was reading leverage versus reading coverage, which was the timing and confidence of performance. Yeah. And, and so the more you, and I think the pra practicing, something to the point like you did it's that over and over drilling and committing it to memory and writing things down i think really does matter is i've always found that the more i write things down the better i am in terms of learning um information too so it's that same thing and and i think for me learning how to work was because playing music was being you know i went to a school you know when i went to school um i you know, if you're a music student or an art student, what you learn very quickly is that you have all these one credit courses where everyone else takes like three or four courses in a semester. There are three credits a piece. You take those, but then you have a bunch of one credit courses that 
in the scheme of things, don't seem as important based on the weight of the credit, but based on your on your your major and what you're doing, tend to be more important to you than the core courses you're taking that everybody else seems to care about and, and seem to have more work too. And then the amount of time that you want to devote to practicing and getting better, because again, to get in some of these classes, you had to try out, you know? And so I'm, I, you know, I was trying out with people who were like coming off of tours with artists that I would have dreamed to play with. And then I found out that they played with them that summer, you know, or that they're going to be, you know, I had a, I was in a class with a freshman at my instrument who by the end of his, you know, freshman year, he was playing with the other um, professors um, when Sinatra came to town and they needed the big band, they needed people to play in a big band behind him because they just call get first call musicians and they needed a, they needed a musician to do that. So he went up there and did that. I'm playing with a dude who's literally, you know, I'm in class with people who playing with Sinatra, you with know, Sinatra, yeah, exactly. shook Sinatra's hand. You shook Sinatra's hand. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like that kind of thing. So the, I look that kind of thing taught me how to work. I, I learned how to work hard early. Um, but learning how to work smart took a lot longer um, for me. Like if, if I had football talent, if I had the athletic talent and football talent, and I was say a quarterback, I would have washed out because I would have worked hard, but on all the wrong things that, you know, that's probably what would have happened to me on that angle. And, and but it's fascinating you know, when we think about these young guys and it's like, it doesn't matter. It, it to me, it, it's, it, it highlights how important either what kind of, what kind of influence you had in your life, whether it's a parent, a teacher, some sort of mentor, because if you, and your mindset, are you going to have it presented to you of like, this is how you work at it. I remember going to places as a musician and thinking I was the, I was a Drew Locke as a musician, like early in my career. And I, I hate to say that pejoratively about Drew because Drew's still in the NFL and he's playing great and he's at the highest of the high. But in terms of having an opportunity presented to you to know how to work smart and work mm -hmm. hard, I... I, I remember when I was in, when I did go to college and those moments happened where I looked around and I said, oh, oh, I and then I thought back in high school of the opportunities I had with musicians earlier and I didn't take advantage of them. And it was in that moment, like being 18 or 19 and seeing the reality and thinking back like in that moment like hearing someone and going oh shit and then like in my head i lead it thought cloud to like literally those moments of teachers i could have had opportunities to work with and do the things that i could have done that would have put me in a different situation where i was in the present and that got that kind of kicked my ass enough to go i've got to figure out I've got to figure out what to do here and I've got to take advantage of the opportunity as much as I can. But even then, you know, it was, it was late in the game for me as you know, to t make the most of my opportunity there. And I think that that's something that we just have to understand that you can be a good student. You can be talented, something that you do. You can be a smart person, a relatively smart person, but if you don't know how to work, or you're in a situation where people are gassing you up for what you're doing right now, you may not have that perspective. Or if you learn how to work too late, you know, yes. especially in the NFL when it comes to players, like you might get to the point where it's, you know, your time is kind of, you've lost your opportunity. The time has passed you by. Um, yeah, it's important. All those things that you said or your influences, who do you, you know, who's teaching you, uh, how to work because it's not you know it, it doesn't come intuitively you know no. it doesn't come, my mom taught me that writing stuff helps you remember it yeah. so I, that's why i did it but you know um you gotta uh you gotta have good good influence in your in your life that are establishing um what your work ethic is going to be in the future yeah and i think that you know the the nice thing is is you missed opportunities do lead to give giving you 
some fire to make good on the next opportunities. And I think that's something that people forget about too. Look at Geno Smith. We just had Geno Smith play excellently yes. on, on Monday Night Football. Yes. Versus, and, and, G, and Geno Smith, we had to think, what, he was washed, absolutely washed and played great. They had an excellent – They were, the Seahawks were keeping the Broncos on their toes as far as play. They didn't know when they was running the ball. They didn't know when they was passing the ball. But Geno Smith looked excellent. Talk about a guy who's capitalizing on another opportunity. I mean, it's – Right there, guy. What he say? They wrote me off, but I didn't write back, you know, or something. Well, that was an awesome line, you know. And you got to be thrilled for him. And it's and it's so true. I mean, for me, honestly, for me, what I do right now was my was was my going. Okay, I, you know, I know where my life was going, and I didn't like where it was, and. I, I saw the missed opportunities that I had with certain things that I thought, how am I going to get, you know, how am I going to learn from that? How do I learn from that to, to, to make the most of what I want to do and develop a craft? And the, and when you, when you figure out what that is, you know, you make the, you, you take those lessons and you make the most of your opportunity and it's, and it can happen. I mean, listen, I, I'm, Never played organized football in my life. I loved it. Played football every day. Played football with our football team at times. We'd play in the backyard. Played, but it wasn't organized. We just hit each other, you know. But like, I loved playing. I loved every day. Music got in the way of that for me, in a sense. Now football gets in the way of me, you know, with music right now, which is hilarious. It's now in reverse. But when when I saw I had an opportunity to write, and I had and I was ready. And I had an opportunity to do something with football. You know, I was 35, you know, and I had a career. And and I I looked at that and was like, I'm hanging on to this like it is a life raft. And I'm going to work at this like the lights are about to go off every day. And I still kind of do. Um, and sometimes they did early on um, <laughs> in the early stages. Can I tell you how much that means to me? Because I turned 35 in two weeks, three weeks. And so, you know, I yeah, I, I want to be on the same on the same path. I mean, yeah. I love the game too. And now this talking about football, writing, writing about football, you know, evaluating players is the um, – is what I do to participate – and play in the game that I that, that I don't I wouldn't dare get on the field again. I'm right. I'm I'm I can't believe that I did in the first place when I look at how hard these people are hitting. Right? I'm like, man, I can't I can believe imagine. I play that game. But no, I'm, <laughs> I'm I I just no, I appreciate that. I turned 35 in a, in a couple of weeks. Well, you know, well, happy early birthday, and you know, I was no nah, man, I was you know, I I was miserable with what I was doing, and and all my. And I remember I'd have friends come back to town in Athens. I just stayed in Athens because I had things to work out. And I, I remember people were like, you're still doing this job. And I, this job, this part-time job grew into a corporate career. And I was good at it. I it wasn't anything that I really was passionate about. And you don't have to be passionate something to, to enjoy your life. You know, you can be passionate about things outside of your work. But I... But I was that kind of person that needed to be invested in what I did or else I was miserable outside of what I was doing, um, you know, even in my free time. So, you know, for me, that was, you know, if you're that way, just know, I mean, you have, you know, I think we, we like to write off people's lives way too young and we like to get ourselves in, you know, and it certainly can be hard and you can make you have to make certain sacrifices. And if you've, and I say this to people all the time, if you've got a family, if you've built, if you've built commitments, they better be on board. And if they're not on board, don't blame them because you committed to something for what you're doing that they, that they expected from you and changing that game requires, you know, requires people to feel comfortable with that. And that means some, that can mean some tough things. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think people also, you'll find it surprising that people, when they see that you're happy doing what you're doing and that you can make time and be balanced with your time with them and, and, and you can contribute to what it is that you need to do, even if you're working a little extra or a lot extra to do it, um, 
if they see you're happier and you're you're still you'll you're still meeting your commitments for them it, it, it's worth it you know it's it can be hard but it's worth it i think mark schofield would probably t say that if if you're on the show too is you know I, i'm not sharing anything out of school with him when i'd say that you know he spent eight years you know working everything he could possibly get now he's got this you know he's got this full-time gig at sb nation and i know there were times with him and he'll talk about it that he was wondering if it was ever gonna if he was ever gonna get that and i can agree there were times that i had some moments where i remember in 2012 where i had a couple of moments where before i started my site where i thought is this really gonna happen and i had a you know, me and Mike McGregor at, at um, who's at DLF and does stuff behind the scenes at DLF a lot. Mike McGregor and I, and Mike gets most of the credit for it. Mike McGregor created the first DFS website. No one knows this, but he did. And I partnered with him. We came up with the name. We came up with a lot of the concept together and we were partners in it, but we were just late to market and we couldn't get the, we couldn't get the build of it right. And we had it out before, um, not DraftKings, the other one. Um, FanDuel. FanDuel. Right before FanDuel mm -hmm. was coming out. Like, the, you know, we were out, but we just couldn't get it. We couldn't get it right. Um, but, like, th that was an iron in the fire, you know. So was fantasy football. So was the RSP. And, you know, you make decisions with that. And, you, you know, it, it's tough on that level because you get offers from other things and you go, is this going to take away from what I really want to do? And I remember meeting my wife, you know, at 36 and I had just cut back and done all this stuff. And, and, you know, she was changing businesses and I, I had left my gig and I was living in an empty house at this point, you know, um, with basically a bed and a, and a desk. And I said, <laughs> and she, and we were very honest with each other about where we are with our lives. And I left and I said, Listen, I've got this part-time gig managing a mail room at the University of Georgia, a bulk mail center. Um, I'm trying to write part-time for the, the business magazine because I know the editor there and hopefully I can hook on there full-time. And that happened within a year. But even then I said, I said, I have a, I'm writing fantasy articles for like $40 a pop. I'm writing, you know, I'm, I've got this project I'm doing with my friend Mike that could be a really big deal, we think, in this space if we can figure it out. Um, and that could go in a good direction. Um, but I've turned down some opportunities to do stuff with like this NBC-oriented site called Roto World because I wanna, I've want to. i got this own thing I want to do that's a draft guide. And... And that may be the weirdest thing of the three things that I'm doing, but it's the one I have the best feeling about, but I don't know. And I said, but I'm going to, I'm going to ride with it, you know, and I just need you to know, this is kind of where I'm at, you know, I mean, and we, we talked about that and, you know, certainly I had my own full-time opportunity and things like that in terms of full-time work, but it wasn't what I was making in my past career. And we, we grew together with it. And I owe my wife a lot for her one, having the fortitude to say, I see what you've, I see what you can do with this. I see why you want to do it, do it. And I'm all in, I'm all in on, on making that happen. Um, and you know, but it's, a. Uh, but if you, I, I don't know if your wife listens to the show, but I mean, I listen to the show and I, I think it's so cool how much you acknowledge her. It's just really, really she, cool. She, so, um, man, I'll say I'll say that on her behalf. I appreciate that because she's 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 a for all the right decisions I made. She's been a big reason for most of them. For all the wrong decisions I made, she was not there, <laughs> and should have been if I had made the time. Um, so she has. She has saved my ass and she's working hard too. She's in law school right now. So, um, you know, so she's, 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 she's not getting, she's not wanting to practice, but she's getting a legal studies degree right now and, and she's doing it online. Gotcha. So, so yeah, but, um, listen, this was great. And, and I, I, I'm just, you can find Felix Sharp at Sharp Review on Twitter find him at campus to Canton. Tell us a little bit more about campus to Canton. Give a good plug to, yeah. to what you guys are yeah. doing there. 
Yeah, I mean, I talked about player stories and following their their careers. You do that as dynasty players, and and all campus to Canton is is extending that into the college ranks. So you have a uh, a college team and an, a traditional NFL dynasty team, and you're playing uh, college fantasy. So the players we talked about today: Jackson Smith and Jigba, Anthony Richardson, uh, 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 Marvin Harrison Jr. You can have them on a roster, and when they declare for the NFL draft you get that reward. They're added to your NFL team, but at the same time, they're competing for you on the college quote unquote side of your campus to Canton league. So our site helps you, Hey, I don't know anything about college players. Well, you know, like I said, we had, I had Marvin Harrison jr. Ranked in the top 20 as a freshman coming in as a high school freshman. He's now up to like wide receiver five or, or something in our rankings, but rankings, tools, Guides. When I say tools, I mean if you want to compare Jamar Tra- Chase to how he performed in college to Xavier Worthy, another highly touted uh, college wide receiver at Texas, you can go ahead and plot them right next to each other uh, on our tools at campus2can.com. If you want to read about these players and how we evaluate them, we have a Debbie guide. We have a freshman and supplemental draft guide. We have a college fantasy football guide. Three different guides. It's like 800 I don't have the 1000 pages that Mr. Waldman has but we have about 800 pages worth of That's guides pretty impressive. available for for 2022 at campus So um you and and you know if you want to learn more you go to campus there is a button right there that says what is C2C if you you know need a, additional explanation but you can get started at campus We really believe that it's the next evolution of fantasy football people are always wanting more fantasy football they got all these xfls and the afl and these spring leagues now if you get into campus to canton league you will be fine evaluating freshmen in the spring so that when you have your freshman guide you know to take marvin harrison jr and bryce young and b john robinson you'll have those players already on your roster and it's just it's a ton of fun mr waldman i'm gonna get you in one here soon oh absolutely and i yeah that's that's for sure and i'm already you know i i all i can think of is arch manning right now but uh there you go you know (laughs) uh, that's arch manning malachi nelson uh uh dante moore from detroit He's going yeah. through who, who spurned Jim Harbaugh and company is go, is leaving Detroit and going to Oregon, committing to wow. Dan Landing and company. That that quarterback class is very very highly regarded. The next next year's quarterback class. So, to, very very briefly, there are there are like four guys who are not not only the top uh, p- quarterbacks in the class, but the top players in the country regardless of position. One's going to USC. One, Malachi Nelson, one's going to Texas, Arch Manning that you mentioned. Dante Moore is going to uh, to Oregon, and Nico Iamalieva, who uh, made new, who made news as getting this eight million dollar NIL deal while still in high school. Wow, he is headed to Josh Heupel in at, in Tennessee. So. Uh, we can talk about that later, but just wanted to drop that, drop that. I love it. I love it. Yeah, see, this is what you're going to get to catch all season long is talking about these guys that are coming up and get kind of get a, you know, a head start on who the guys that we're going to be looking at down the line here at the RSP and, of course, at Campus, Campus to Canton. Fantastic. Oh, I definitely got to do a league. I've got to drop a couple of leagues first, to be honest with you. But I'm going to do it. So on behalf of Felix and myself, thanks again for listening. We really do appreciate you guys tuning in and the comments that you give and, and, your th- and the thoughts that you share about the topics that we discuss. Um, you know, And if there's players that you want us to talk about, you know, email me, mattwaldmanrsp at gmail.com. You can hit Felix up at Sharp Review on Twitter. Let him know as well. Um, hit me up on Twitter, however way you want to communicate it, as long as it's not smoke signals, okay? Because I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm not very savvy with that or Morse code. So uh, thanks again for listening and good night.